Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's a beautiful day. It's probably as beautiful as it's going to get down here, huh? For a, for a February, late February. Um, do have a, 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 a praise. Can I, can I put a, a couple young people on blast? Is that, is that okay? Is that okay? What was it? Was it two? Was it two weeks ago? Yeah, Marcus proposed to Alyssa. So we have a young couple that's uh, engaged. So uh, that's a that's a beautiful thing. It's a it's a great thing. Uh, please keep them in your prayers, and uh, it's just you know wonderful to see things blossoming and and come to fruition as the Lord sees fit. So um, you know a great blessing. Marcus, you're going to have your hands full. Alyssa, you're going to have your hands full. But hey, as long as Jesus Christ is the glue that's keeping you two together, you guys are going to be far good. So amen to that. And I just wanted to um, share real quick with you guys. uh, Thank you for your prayers. I know last week, um, maybe it was my emotions or whatnot, but I might have have seemed a little undone and and restless from all the things kind of going on. But, uh, you know, the Lord gave me complete clarity over this past week. And so I have complete peace. I'm not going to say I know the details because I do not know the details. That would be a lie. But I I clearly see the direction the Lord is leading this body and what I do believe is the direction of the church in general. Uh, So I have complete peace about the situation. So praise God that, uh, again, we don't have to do this life alone, like Michelle said. We, we, we have the author and perfecter of our faith. We know how the whole thing ends up, right? The war has been won, but there's a battle still to be fought. So, uh, you know, consider your lives as you live on this earth, really, in the trenches. <laughs> Every day you're in the trenches, close hand-to-hand combat, spiritual warfare going on. So that's kind of what all this thing is, is going on here. And then I'll get into a little bit of that as we get into the message. But with that... If you would stand, please, and we will be in Acts chapter 23. We are kind of cruising right along here, and we will be going through verses 1 through 11 this morning. Another very pivotal point in Paul's ministry, and uh, we're going to see exactly kind of what happens here in our context this morning. So I'll go ahead and read, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into the, the message this morning. So Acts chapter 23, verses 1 down through 11, and it says, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting in judge? Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Who would revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension rose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if, the, what if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces, or torn to pieces by them, excuse me, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force. 
and bring him into the barracks. The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and Lord, we need your grace. We need your mercy. Lord, may you empty us of ourselves and fill us fresh with the Holy Spirit. Help us to understand your word, to rightfully divide it, to see the application in our lives in this day, in this moment, in the age we're living in today. Show us where Jesus is in the text and and how uh, we walk in light of who Christ is. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So, there's a lot going on right here. Who needs all these novels and all these other books? It's, it's good to have, you know, uh, you know uh, fun little reading on the side. But man, there's so much drama and just so much going on in the Bible. I mean, once you get into the book, you really are hooked. Today we will follow along with Paul as he goes before the Jewish council now. Because of the rioting that occurred from confusion and anger and pride, the Sanhedrin, which is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were trying to get to the bottom of who, who this Paul, who is he really? And what was he doing and what was he teaching? Up to this point, Paul has addressed the council already. We know that. We learned about that several weeks back. He's delivered the offering from the Gentile churches to Jerusalem. He's funded several Jewish men, so they were able to take their vows. Uh, he spoke openly to the larger Jewish community, explaining his position in Christ. So all these things have gone on. He's been attacked on multiple occasions. It wasn't a good job, brother, good message. No, it was, uh, you know, I'm going to strike you and, and try to take you out. It seems as if no one is happy with Paul and the answers that he has given. No one seems to be satisfied with what Paul has been sharing with them. But this again reveals the, the prophecy, right, that was shown to him <clears throat> as the Lord spoke to Ananias, another Ananias, earlier on when he was Saul, when he first got converted, that the Jews wouldn't receive his message, that he would endure many trials, and that he would be sent to the Gentiles. There is much to take away from this latest interaction between the religious elect of the day and Paul. So let's dive right in and see where, again, Christ is in the text and how this applies to our lives this morning. Like always, I have several main points, and the first one is this. Success in your mission for Jesus Christ doesn't always come in the first round. If I may use a boxing analogy... Your Christian walk, my Christian walk, is more of a knockdown, drag out fight, not a one punch Mike Tyson's punch out. I'm dating myself again. That old, who remembers that old Nintendo video game? Mike Tyson's punch out. Man, Soda Popinski, all them characters. Mike Tyson, little short dude, little pit bull, but man, one punch, knock them all out. If anything, Jesus Christ himself is the one who delivered the final knockout, the TKO, the out for the count, never getting back up blow to Satan and his minions. It's Christ alone who's done that. He's done that on the cross. Though the war has been won by Christ giving his life on Calvary, we as people, we as believers, as Christians living in this fallen world must choose daily which side of the fence we align ourselves with in this battle and this battle is going to continue on until you pass from this chasm to the next when you pass from this physical life to the eternal life spiritually either with Jesus Christ or with Satan carrying out orders from our Lord to see those we witness to come to faith in Jesus Christ this is what our task at hand is on a daily basis basis and to work or to walk excuse me uh, circumspectly and to to live a life that is above reproach we'll learn about that in a little bit Paul's walk in service to the Lord 
was just like a boxing match. If you look at Paul's life, if you look at the things that he went through, it was fought hard. There were many rounds. Blows were exchanged. He got knocked down on multiple times. He hit that canvas and if I would, again, use this boxing analogy, I'm sure he, he heard uh, the count of eight. Maybe even the count of nine. Yet Paul endured many hardships and he was able to get back up off the canvas of life with the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. You see, things didn't go the way he had intended or how he wanted in the beginning, even in the middle, but he endured it all. He endured the suffering. He endured the letdowns. He endured even the shame of the things that he had went through. Paul would witness to his own people only to have his message be rejected. And so he was moved on to the Gentiles. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. As we learned from last week, when the Lord closes one door, He will always open another door for us to walk through. And I believe everyone here can attest to that. There's been many times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, where a door has been closed. Maybe a door that we were like, I'm destined to go through that door. Maybe not quite, but the Lord inevitably opens up another door, which actually becomes the better door that we may have never even seen. Totally hit us from the blind side. But isn't that the Lord's ways? Again, that, that, that brings the point back. We walk by faith, not by sight. These circumstances surrounding your lives today, do not let that deter you from keeping your focus on Jesus Christ. That was the clear message that I got from the Lord this week that gave me ultimate peace about everything. He just had to tell me, Where, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Why are you... Why are you looking to the left and to the right? Has no bearing on what he's doing with his church and with his people. Amen. The main idea here is not to give up because we don't see immediate results. Or because our circumstances aren't the way we want them to be. Jesus' circumstances sure as heck were not the way he wanted them to be. We can attest to that with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood profusely, saying, if there's any other way that this can be done, please take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. That right there is the stamp that should show us it's not going to go the way we think it should go in this life. I don't care. And especially the church. This is one of the main points. His church is going to bear his marks. If you don't bear his markings of suffering, you're not a Christian. I don't care how the suffering comes, whether it's physical, psychological, emotional, whatever. The powers that be setting up things to where you can't meet here and there. Those are all markings. Understand that we will share in his suffering one way or another church. All right. The second main point is this. As believers... In Jesus Christ, we should always be aware of our conduct, whether in public or private. And actually, to tell you the truth, private is even more important than public. Because what you do in private, which is what is called integrity, what you do when no one's looking, is going to manifest itself amongst other people. You cannot live a closet life and come and, and worship God openly amongst people and think that your sin will not find you out. So integrity... What you and I do, being aware of our conduct in private and in public, so we are not labeled hypocrites or what the word calls here a whitewashed wall. As we see, Paul will call out this high priest and those within the council who saw fit to have him struck, even though this went against their own laws. The fact that they were more than willing to violently confront Paul even though it went against their own laws, was a clear sign of their hypocrisy. The fact that they were so willing to do this. The definition of a hypocrite is this. 
A person who pretends to have virtues, morals, or religious beliefs, principles, that he or she does not actually possess, especially a person whose actions belies stated beliefs. And this is, unfortunately, we see far too many examples of this hypocritical attitude, hypocritical way of living where one speaks, but one's actions are completely a contradiction of what they say. Isn't it no wonder why the word says, as the tongue is like a small rudder that can control a giant ship and move it left to right, front and back. So within the tongue is the power of life and death. Do we realize how cutting our words could be sometimes? And and it's unfortunate that the ones closest to us get those cutting remarks or those snide remarks or those those sarcastic remarks that that, that could break down one's countenance and, 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 and and cut to the core. It's been said that words hurt more than bruising. Broken bones will heal. Bruises will go away. But a scar from a striking word from someone can be devastating for a lifetime. But it's amazing that within that same tongue can bring blessing, can bring comfort, can bring acceptance in Christ, right? It's amazing. We are to not be hypocritical in our way of life, in our thinking, in our talk in our speech in our actions we as followers of Jesus Christ never want to fall into this view of how uh, we are perceived to, to never be those that are hypocrites we are to live in this world in what the Bible says above reproach this means that basically Nothing we say or do can be seen as we were, are living in contradiction to the Word of God. Now, if, if, if individuals choose to take what you say and what you do out of context, that's a whole other thing. Because there are companies and uh, you know, businesses in media that make a killing out of this. Taking someone's statements out of context and manipulating the words. You have no control over that. But if, you're, if your conduct is correct before the Lord, you will be vindicated at some point in time your job my job is to not be a hypocrite to live above reproach in this life so we don't tarnish our witness of jesus christ to others around us because the pharisees and the sadducees sorry let me get back because you won't know what the third point is i got into the description but i did not tell you what the point was the third main point is this where there is no truth And I can't even say half-truths because half-truth is no truth. That's like a little white lie. There's no such thing. I don't care if you're lying about grandiose things or you're lying about, I I, I didn't take the trident gum. It wasn't me. My son said this morning, I I didn't pee on the floor. You didn't pee on the floor? Who peed on the floor then? Your sister didn't pee on the floor. Your mom didn't pee on the floor. It wasn't me. Well, then who was it? I don't know. A A little mouse went and just peed by the toilet. A lie is a lie no matter how you cut it. Where there is no truth, there will always be dissension. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees had opposing views, it caused confusion amongst them when they realized that Paul had once been a Pharisee and Paul had spoken something that was clear to them so they understood his position as a former Pharisee. Because they held opposing views on a subject that had no wiggle room. And we know what this is, the afterlife and the resurrection. Today, people differ on their views on this and struggle and say, oh, well, we can all be inclusive. We can all have everyone because God is, he's, he's a father, so he's all of our father. That's incorrect. God is the father of the human race, but God is not your father, spiritually speaking, until you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and your Lord. This is what they struggled with here. Such an essential part of human life, like a disagreement on this very topic, 
will cause a disagreement and dissension in every other aspect, every other layer, every other level of life. Where you base who God is, that sets the tone for everything else. That's why the word talks about do not be unequally yoked when you go into marriage. If you are a Christian and you are a Muslim, how can that be? How can these, how can these views, I don't care about their similarities, there are striking differences between the two. You're not going to have peace. The word doesn't care about don't, don't marry this person, they're black, don't marry this person, they're white. It has everything to say about don't marry that person if they're not a believer in Christ. Now, I don't want to get into the whole other thing because that's a whole other road. But yes, there's many times where people maybe didn't come to faith when they first got married. Someone got saved. But you know, the Bible talks clear about that as well. One can be saved even though one spouse is a believer and the other isn't. It's going to take consistent prayer, never giving up, giving giving all of this to the Lord and seeing a miracle unravel or come forth before your eyes and you'll be amazed at how these things take place. But when in your ability to do not be unevenly yoked. Now this may be a far stretch, some may say, to what was going on with the council. But this is still undergirding what's going on with them in their disagreement. Since they both agreed upon one true God, that was the only thing that was good with what was going on with them. But they still, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and the spirit and angels and the Sadducees did not believe that. They opposed this and this actually caused a major problem because they didn't know the truth in its entirety. They could not agree and it caused them to fight amongst each other. If you think about it today, how much backbiting, how much strife, how much fighting is going on because people do not have the truth in its entirety. They have bits and pieces and portions of it. And that's what Satan loves to do. He loves to give you a little bit of truth with a whole lot of lie. And if you are not in the word constantly, if you are not, if your life is not undergirded by the word of God, you are not going to be able to discern that lie and you are going to be led down a path that you do not want to go on. All right, let's begin to unpack these verses now. So it says in verses 1 and 2, and this is Paul speaking, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. This was not no little, get a little white glove and I'm talking about Yes, like Daniel showed, a very furious fist to the face, one that would inflict much pain. The previous day, Paul saw a great opportunity go unfulfilled when the crowd at the Temple Mount did not allow him to finish his message, but instead they started rioting. So there's a lot of frustration, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anger, a lot of even... uh, maybe uh, people scared and people reacting off of these emotions. All these things are kind of going on right now as we see. Now Paul had another opportunity to win uh, these, these people of Israel to Jesus and perhaps a better opportunity because he was going before the actual council. He spoke to them with the opportunity to preach Jesus Christ to these influential men. We have to understand this, these men were, were, uh, they were very, they had a lot of power. I'll put it that way. Because they were the religious leaders. They were the ones who called the shots. They were the one who sat around the table and decided, we're going to do this, we're not going to do this. And we have the authority because it's been given to us and we are going to administer and wield that authority. The first thing we see here is quite interesting because back in those times, the normal style of addressing this council would have been to say, rulers of the people of Israel. I mean, it was a formal address. You would not go before them and just speak to them, right? Even today we have Uh, certain formalities. You would not just go up to the President of the United States and say, hey, Joe Biden, 
You would say, Mr. President. You would address him in a certain way. Even places in Europe or places in the Middle East where they still have royalty by blood, whether they're, they're, they're queens or, or princesses or princes, they're addressed in a formal manner. This, this would be similar to what you would see here. But Paul addressed them all and said, brothers. This, in a way, was actually putting Paul on level ground with them. And I'm sure many took offense to that because they're like, do you know who I am? I am part of the Sanhedrin or I am, I am part of this pharisaical party or I am Ananias the high priest. How dare you respond to me as brother? You need to address me by my proper title. The application is this. Though we in the body of Christ have different functions, we are all equal in God's eyes. None are worth more than any other. Remember, the Lord is no respecter of persons. And, and, and unfortunately, we see this play out. We see this play out on two ways. We see this play out because some congregations, they give the pastor too much limelight, so to speak. And on the other end, the pastor puffs himself up based on that. Pastor is no more important than the people in the pews. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, understanding that Christ is the head, not the pastor, not the elders, not the bishops, not the worship singers, right? We all are on the same level playing field. When we have the proper perspective, things are in harmony, things are in place, the Lord can lead the church how he sees fit. When people start putting up their position and thinking because, you know, they have this title, right? I don't identify myself with a pastor. I'm a Christian. Pastoring is something I do. I'm also a husband. I'm also a father. But I don't find my identity in pastoring. I don't find my identity in being a husband. I don't find my identity in being a father. <clears throat> Those are parts of my character. But I find my identity in Christ alone. And that's where we all should find our identity. For these men here, because of their position in the Jewish religion, many in the council looked at themselves as more important than the common person. Remember, scriptures weren't freely given out back then. Scrolls were not given out like that. <clears throat> you had to have status to obtain these sacred scriptures. That's why many of the common people, it was over dinner or over a meal where the scriptures would be passed down and they would not be passed down written they would be passed down orally in stories the elders of the family would share with the younger generation and that 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 process would continue and that's partly part of how again well hiding god's word in your heart uh when we study god's word we need to study god's word so much that it becomes like the back of our hands second nature and it's not just have a spiritual big head and walk around reciting scriptures no it has everything to do with hide God's word in your heart so that you may stand upon those principles, stand upon those words, because the word is powerful, right? It's, it, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You try and holding a two-edged sword, you're going to cut yourself on both ends. That's God's word. When you hide God's word in your heart, when you make it a part of you, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance whatever scripture needs to be applied in that specific moment in time, and you're going to be okay. You're going to get through but you don't do that unless you get God's word in your heart. So as they did back in the day, they would share the scripture with their children, with the younger people at the dinner table or whenever they sat around in their little cots and ate. And that's the same idea here for us today. Make God's word a part of your life. Make it you as far as hiding it in your heart. Unfortunately, this whole thing, again, with uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees thinking that they were better than others, it still runs rampant within the church today, within the world, obviously, but also, unfortunately, within the church. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 tells us, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So it's, it's, it's crystal clear, right? We shouldn't think of ourselves greater than we are, no, nor should you, uh, you know, belittle yourself to the point of you have no confidence at all. Your confidence should come in Christ. You find your contentment in Him. You're going to be okay. 
You'll be even killed. Next, we see Paul make this statement. He says, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. He probably thought that this was an innocent enough way to begin his statement or his preaching to uh, the council. But he did not mean that he was sinless or perfect in any way. And that his conscience had never told him that he was wrong. Instead, he meant that he had responded to his conscience when he had done wrong and he had set things right. We can gather this from the statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, when he says, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And I guess, again, I'm dating myself because that's where Tupac got the whole, only God can judge me. From that right there. Then we see the response to what Paul just said. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. So again, this wasn't one slap or one punch, but those who were around him. Strike him. Strike this man for what he spoke. Paul's claim of a good conscience offended the high priest. He thought that someone accused of such a serious crime or serious crimes should never claim that they have a clear conscience. Or could it be possibly that this high priest was convicted in his heart by the integrity of Paul's claim? That he was a man of good conscience and it was evident by his speech and his countenance who Paul was and how he was. No matter what the motivation was, this order was illegal for the Jewish law said that he who strikes the cheek of one Israelite strikes it as if it were the glory of God. And that he that strikes a man strikes the Holy One. So this was something they should have never done. But they chose to, well the high priest chose to do it. And the council did not have the backbone enough to oppose it. And so they went along with it which made them guilty as well. And again, does this sound familiar? It should because this is the same thing that happened to Jesus Christ. The application is this. Yet again, we see this abuse of power over and over again. We see this abuse of power in our time today. There is something called due process of law, right? And it's how people in America are supposed to be given a fair hearing in a court of law. Unfortunately, this is not always the case. And we see today in our own country how this wielding of power is going, uh, being abused, being abused. And this is why when you look in the word of God, there are so many men that are taken in and out of positions of authority because for mankind, it is very difficult for us to wield power accurately and correctly, humbly, and administer it in a way that is fair and even for every person. Unfortunately, when we are given power, many times we get bloodthirsty, we want more power, we want more attention, and it turns to very negative things. It is, very, it is a very difficult thing. It is actually in, there's no way to have power or authority unless you are under the control of the Holy Spirit. There is no way that you will be able to accurately administer authority correctly. If you are, that means you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit and continue in that way because we see the clear difference of those who do it apart from God, though it's the Spirit of God, and it's never good. This Ananias, who was the high priest at the time, he did not honor the office. He was well known for his greed. The ancient Jewish historians, uh, historian Josephus tells of how Ananias stole for himself the tithes. He took the offering money. And he took off and he kept it for himself. He took the things that were for the common priest and he used it for his own gain. Does that ring a bell? I don't want to keep bringing these examples because it's just so, it just sounds so sad and so bad. But you don't have to look far. Use your imagination. I'm sure you could see some church with the, you know, big dome, elaborate, you know, this and that. And uh, man, it's crazy. Too much gold. What do we need all that gold for? Is it to make us feel good? Is God like... That's great. You know, I don't know. That's just crazy. You know, I'm content. I'm content with this little wooden <laughs> this little wooden box and whatever. I don't, I don't need all that stuff. All right, anyways. 
says in verse 3, Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that this was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Okay, so here we see Paul, he's attacked, he's struck. But then after he was struck, what he did was he basically pulled the high priest's card. He pulled his card and he called him a whitewashed wall. Well, what is a whitewashed wall? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a dirty wall, like a, a wall like this that's white, it's dirty, and it's covered up by a thin coat of white paint. Paul was basically calling this high priest Ananias a hypocrite. The high priest had commanded other people to do his dirty work by having Paul struck. He didn't do it himself. God bless you. He had him struck. The men of the council were supposed to be an example of the law of Moses. And this command to have Paul struck was in fact contrary to both the spirit and the letter of the law. Deuteronomy 25 verses 1 and 2 says that only a man found guilty can be beaten. And Paul had not yet been found guilty. He had not been put on trial. Again, sound familiar? Same thing that happened to Jesus, right? Same thing that uh, as they tried, to, uh, they tried to impeach the former president. Speedily, rapidly. Well, it didn't happen. Again, we see this same abuse of power in our own day and age. Now we see the statement, God will strike you. Paul's words, however, were more prophetic than he probably had realized. Uh, because there's an account that on Ananias' final days, this high priest as he lived, despite all his scheming and bribes, he was lived out as a hunted animal and ended up in the hands of his own people. Again, be sure your sin will find you out. You cannot live a lifestyle contrary to the principles of the Bible and think that you're going to skate away into the sunset and everything's going to go well for you. At some point in time, the truth will be revealed. The application is this in regards to this whole whitewashed wall. You know, as I studied, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think about the great contrast between a whitewashed wall and the blood of Jesus Christ. There are some that have their dirty sins simply covered up over a thin layer of some kind of veneer, whether it's physical covering up uh, Botoxing Implants of every part of your body I didn't even know you could even Implant places that they implant now But people do this And I'm not trying to disrespect But man, why does Dolly Parton Still like look like she's 32 years old That's creepy That's I, 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 should, I, I shouldn't have to see that That's just, you know, I don't know That's just, that's her own thing I'm not trying to attack her I'm just saying You get old and wrinkly and gray for a reason because you're not supposed to live here forever and people who do, I don't know I can't I don't know her heart so I'm not going to go there all I'm going to go off of is the fact that you cannot live here forever and it seems like some of us are trying to live on this planet forever we put all of our treasure and all of our cherished things here like we're going to stay here forever we're not I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but that's, uh, it's just crazy because we do all these things to try to preserve life and save the whales and save the raccoons. What about all these souls of people, man? We have dominion over these animals. I'll, if I, I'll shoot that raccoon and if I had to, I'll fry them up and eat them. I gotta save them. Ferrets, eat those too. We don't gotta save all these animals. It's all part of the cycle of life, if you will. We have dominion over these things. And if anything, our sin is the one that caused all this, this nonsense to be rotting. And all of a sudden now we want to save. And they, uh, they, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. They got the commercials. I, I, I enjoy dogs. I, if my animal of choice, I'm a, I'm a dog person. And they try, but they try to pull on your heartstrings and show these animals with the styes in their eyes and the flies flying around their nose and, oh, come adopt. And yeah, I get it, though. But you know what? We should put the same, if, if not more, concern on people's souls. Because that, that's where the, the real work is at. You get the souls right, all those animals end up working out. Remember, the lamb and the lion. 
All right. Back to my point. A whitewashed wall. Man, the contrast that with the blood of Christ. You don't want this veneer covered over your sins. You want the blood of Christ to thoroughly cleanse you. Clean you up from the inside out. Recognizing that your filthiness before the true and living God, having Christ wash away your sins. With the blood of Christ, it's not a whitewashed wall. There's no comb over. There's no makeover. There's no putting up. You know, that's what, that's what landlords do to charge more money. They just, you know, they just paint it up and then they charge a few extra hundred dollars or, you know, a thousand more dollars. They didn't do any work to it. You want complete restoration. And that's what the blood of Christ does. That's, that's, the, that's the contrast that you see there between the blood of Christ and a whitewashed wall. It's crazy because in some senses you could actually probably say we were all whitewashed walls at some point until we came to repentance and received Christ as our own. Next, Paul was, we see that he was sincere with his apology when he realized who Ananias was. He agreed that it was wrong to speak evil of the ruler of, uh, of the people. You can find that in Exodus chapter 22. Yet Paul excused himself, claiming that he did not know that this man was uh, commanded to do so. It, it actually isn't unreasonable for him to think that if you really kind of trek the history of what's going on and where Paul had been because he had been away from the council and this circle of people for more than 20 years. So he probably simply didn't recognize the man who was giving this command for him to be struck as the high priest. However, some think that he, he, he didn't know because Paul's eyesight was bad. You know, you kind of get a picture of Paul. Paul was kind of hunched over. I guess he wasn't the most handsome looking of characters. Uh, and so, you know, that might have played into, again, why he, he, he didn't know, because he just couldn't see very well. This viewpoint can be gathered from Galatians chapter 4, uh, if you ever want to see on your own time, uh, verses 14 and 15, as well as from earlier church traditions. Others think Paul was just being sarcastic, and he was kind of playing with the man in a manner was, you're the high priest? No, I'm not going to go for that. In any event, this is what happened, and he was sincere with his apology. Okay, as we move on, verse 6, it says, Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the others were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am here on trial. Paul seemed to have read his audience, and he understood that they were not receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The actions of the high priest and the attitudes of those who took part in the, 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 the striking of him made this perfectly clear to Paul. Excuse me. So Paul gave up on preaching for the moment. I don't want to say gave up on preaching, but he, he, he shifted his attention from preaching the gospel and did what he could to preserve his liberty before the council who wanted to kill him. It says that one part were Sadducees and the others were Pharisees. Paul's plan was to divide the Sanhedrin among their party lines to get them to make a side so the Pharisees would sympathize and be sympathetic to him instead of having them united fully against him. And that's why he said, I am a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. Knowing his audience, Paul referred to his heritage as a Pharisee and declared concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. He knew that this was a matter of great controversy between these two parties. Of course, this was an essentially true claim. The center of Paul's gospel was the resurrected Jesus Christ. So how could he not say that? He was being judged over the matter of the resurrection of the dead. And this is what caused all of the conflict and all of the confusion. And as we'll see in a minute, even the violence to occur, it escalated because of this they did not hold the same truth. They did not know. Even those that had the truth somewhat, they did not have the full truth. And so it caused this division amongst them. Okay, as we see, move on to verses 7 through 9. And it says, And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Paul 
picked the exact perfect right issue. Framed in these terms, he immediately gained the Pharisees as allies and let them argue it out with the Sadducees. Now you see, the Sadducees, they were what you would call the theological liberals of their day. And they denied the reality of life after death and the concept of the resurrection. Luke was right with his words. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or no spirit. And then you have the Pharisees. They were more likely to find some ground of argument with Paul, or agreement, excuse me, with Paul, because they took uh, the Bible or the scriptures uh, to more truth, and they held the, the scriptures to be true in the sense of what they said literally. They took the Bible seriously, even though they erred greatly by adding tradition. See, that's what the Pharisees did. They took the word of God, their scriptures at the time, and they added their traditions onto it, saying, you got to do all this and do all that. Sound familiar? We see this happening still today. People take the word of God and either they dissect what they don't like and keep what they will have. And then you have others that take the word of God and they'll add on to what the word says and we know you look at the book of revelation that's a not good thing you don't want to be in that camp of adding anything to the scriptures or taking any way anything away from the scriptures let the word speak for itself is what the bible teaches us it's very strange though you have these two camps opposing views on such a critical matter yet they will come together as friends to oppose God and his work. And again, I, it's, it's very, it's heavy, it, it's, it's heavy on my heart to have to keep saying, you see this today? You see this today? You see this today? Do you see the similarities? But you cannot deny the fact that we see these, st- these same things happening over and over again. As the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, nothing is new under the sun. It happens again and again and will continue happening until Christ's return. We see this similar kind of dynamic in our own time. When you look at our political system, Democrats and Republicans, maybe not all of them, but some fall in this same category. Both parties are in opposition to whatever is threatening their power. That is the reality. Even if some claim to be Bible-believing, whether they're conservative or liberal, if God Almighty gets in the way of their agenda, they will fight against Him for their way. That's a bold statement to make, but I truly believe it is correct. And this is partially what, have, what the Lord has shown me over the week that gave me clarity. I should not be concerned and moved by what a Democrat or Republican does. I need to keep my focus on Jesus Christ. I don't care what Santa Clara County says. I'm going to get into that in a minute. I'm going to keep my focus on Christ. I'm going to keep my focus on Christ, and I'm not going to tarnish my witness amongst men because of any, anything or what anyone else chooses to do. I mean, if the Pharisees and the Sadducees both came against Jesus Christ in their day, what makes us think that our very own political leaders here in America don't have the capacity to do the same thing. The application is this. This is why you don't follow men. This is why you follow God. You don't follow me. You don't follow uh, Trump. You don't follow Biden. You follow Christ. You don't follow Gavin Newsom. You don't follow whoever is in charge here in Santa Clara County. You follow Jesus Christ. You seek the Lord on the matter. You pray about it. You wait for a confirmation. And then you act. Because both religious groups lacked the fundamental truth, they were in opposition. This is why it's so important to know the truth. The Bible is clear. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ is the truth. He alone will set you free. Free from doubt. Free from worry. Free from stress. Free from letdowns. Free from disappointment. Whatever it is. You will walk through those things. You will have moments where those things will affect you. But ultimately, they will not drag you down. Because you have the freedom of Christ. Because he frees you. He liberates you from all that so you can serve him. So you can have peace and have joy. 
Many times our attention is focused on the wrong thing. We focus on problems rather than the solution. And the reality is this. We know the answer. It's always Jesus Christ. That's why Philippians 4, 6 says, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Thank the Lord for what he, ask him for what you need and thank him for what he has done. Every time, whenever you have something where it's like, I'm concerned about it. That's what I, I like to use that word. You know, because then Veronica will be like, you know, okay, you're all right. But she knows, she's smart. She's like, you're worried about it, aren't you? Pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. All these things we need to be praying about. Not worried about it, concerned about it, but pray about it. This is a side note, but this is all in part in what this is. We need to remember that Satan needs permission to do anything. So the good Lord needs to permit these things to actually take place. Look at Job, right? Satan had to ask him. He didn't just get to go do it. He had to ask him. I bring this up because, again, such a time as this, and this is my example, the frustration that I was dealing with and the stress I was dealing with last week as far as these mandates were changing and do we go in the building do we not go in the building man lord i want to have a clear conscience i don't know i see other churches fighting and taking taking people to court and spending all kind of money what's my position in this what are we supposed to be doing you know and i was all stressed out i was all over the place and then i was reminded that the good lord allowed this for whatever reason we live in the one county in california that they tell us You cannot meet indoors. Then I was reminded, Keefing, so what? So what? This is what the Lord showed me. So what? Keep my eyes, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, the offer and perfecter of your faith. Because the reality is this. We can complain. We can argue it's not fair. We can say... It goes against our constitutional rights. We can tarnish our witness and break the law, believing we're a small congregation. They're never going to find out that we're meeting inside. But we have to remember, look at the life of Jesus Christ. Just look at his life. If he is our Lord and Savior, he is our ultimate example. Look at his life. God's very own son. His one and only Son, His only unbegotten Son, sent Him into the world as a baby. From the jump, He was met with nothing but adversity. Born into a nasty, sloppy pig pen in a manger, in a feeding trough. What did the king at that time say? I decree any male boy under two be killed. What? How does that how does that make sense? How, how, is that, how, is that, how is that the way for the God of all creation in human form to come into this world? This is what the Lord reminded me. If I saw it fit to allow my one and only son to come into this world, to die a, a wicked death upon that cross, but so much great was going to come out of it, who are you to tell me about your little inconvenience of Meeting indoors or outdoors or what your rights are. It's not about your rights, Keefing. It's not about the church's rights. Understand this. Followers of Christ will bear the marks of his suffering. This is real. And what we're going to go into in the near future, this is going to be child's play to what the church is going to be coming up against. We're going to be wishing all we had to do was figure out, do we meet indoors, do we meet outside? It may come to a point where we're not being inside or outside, but we're on the under. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like other people in other countries. And so this is why, again, this is what gave me complete peace about it. I'm like not even stressed out about it. I may seem intense about it. It's just because that's just the way I am. And this is how the Lord showed me. But keep your eyes on Christ. He said, I'm in control. I've allowed it. I've allowed it. Because something great is going to come out of this. Don't tarnish your witness. I'm not saying that the other parts of the body are wrong for taking up their stance and going up to the Capitol building in Sacramento and doing all what they do. But you know what? We're not in that position. We do not have the financial resources 
nor we do not have the, the team of lawyers to do all that. I mean, yes, we could do that, but, but does, is, that, is that really, that's not where the Lord is calling me. I can't do that. If you want to be a part of that, you can go with the other people that are doing that, and that's fine. But what the Lord is showing me is, do not tarnish your witness. Remain faithful. I'm going to be faithful. You're going to come out of this. You're going to come out of this, and you're going to have a testimony of how you've stood the test of time because Christ is holding us up. And remember, if this is the markings that we're bearing for the Lord now, accept it and and rejoice in it. Paul rejoiced in it. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice in my weakness because I know that Christ is lifting me up. And that's the same for us today. And unfortunately, I do believe the church is moving into a new season where the whole coffee and donuts, that's kind of large in large parts over. You can still have coffee and donuts, but it may not look the same way because we're moving on the trajectory for the Lord's return. We can't, again, this goes back to the don't set up your home here. This is not your home. You are a pilgrim moving through. All right, as we end off with the last two verses. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go and take him away from among them by force and bringing him into the barracks. Again, this just got to the point where it became violent. It became violent to the point where the, the, the Roman authorities thought, we don't want this bloodshed to occur like this. We're going to escort him out. But again, God's sovereign plan. So Paul would eventually be able to go to Rome. So this all had to take place. And this is what the last verse basically reiterates what I just said. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. This encouragement from God proved that Paul was in the will of God by going to Jerusalem. Remember, many people said, you're not in God's will. You're going where there's suffering. You're going where there's pain. You're not where it's all cool and posh and relaxed and and calm and you don't have to break a sweat. No, the spirit led him into that. Remember, again, look at Jesus. After he was baptized by John the Baptist, what happened to him? He was led into into the wilderness, into the desert. And he had to face Satan there. Again, does that make sense? It doesn't make sense by my human understanding. But again, the Lord has a reason and an ideal for everything that goes on. The Spirit of God had given Paul a heads up about the suffering he would face. Again, the application is this. It is so important. Yet again, we see clearly in Scripture that God's people will suffer in this life. This is what you need to take away from this. Suffering doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Today, you may be suffering. That doesn't mean you're out of God's will. It means you're living for God, with God, in a fallen world. The Lord here basically is telling Paul, now I'm going to move you to Rome. He would witness to them in Rome to the Gentiles. Notice that there was no rebuke from Paul. This is the last thing here that's very important to understand in this text. Paul did not rebuke God for this. Paul accepted the terms and obeyed the Lord's commands. Honestly, the reality is many times we are in violation of actually doing this because God is working things out how he sees fit to do, but because we don't like it, we don't like the way it looks, We think it should look different. We think it should be different. We don't understand what God is doing and we end up rebuking him. Even though this is, he's allowed it. If he's allowed it, we need to let it be. And we need to do our part, stay in our lane and do what we're told. The saddest thing about this is many believers don't even realize they're rebuking God when they're rebuking him. They think, again, they're standing up for their rights. Again, The reality is this, what right does the clay have to tell the potter what it wants to be, how it wants to be made, where it wants to be placed? It has no right. The potter does the work. The potter conducts the creation. The creation falls in line 
to what it's being made as as a vessel. May we be those who, like Paul, no matter what the situation we find ourselves in, remain focused on Christ and obey. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the truth in your word that brings clarity, that brings healing, that brings contentment. Lord, help us to find contentment in you no matter what our circumstances are. Not saying we find contentment in the circumstances, but we know that you're with us. That makes it all possible. That makes it enjoyable in the fact that we have you, that we don't have to be moved or shaken, tossed to and fro by any, every wind of doctrine and the different circumstances that come across our lives. But Lord, may we continue to keep our focus on you. May we continue to take our orders from you. May you direct our paths. We don't even know the right thing to do. We look to you for direction and guidance and wisdom. So Lord, may you continue to do that mighty work in our lives and our hearts. Father, we thank you for the privilege of serving you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.